And now, more sports and torts with David Spada and Elliot Heron. Did you enjoy playing in Candlestick Park? Because it seemed like that park had to be miserable to play in with that wind. <laughs> well, I'm an optimistic guy. you got to be. Uh, you know, not just for there, but, I mean, I see, I grew up in L.A. and before, in Los Angeles. So, um, and the Dodgers and Giants hadn't come out to yet, but my mom and dad and all her friends, my uncles and stuff were all, well, half of them were professional baseball players. And, but they had season tickets to AAA and all that stuff. So when we watched the games, uh, when the, when the Dodgers and Giants finally got to the West Coast, Watching the games from L.A., the only games that the Dodgers had on back then were the Giants games up in San Francisco, and they were and you know black and white when I first started. So watching that park, them playing in that park, and seeing those people in parkas and the wind blowing, and going, man, this is California, and I haven't been up there. I've never been there, even though it's only four miles away. You're thinking, what the heck's going on here? People got parkas on and the wind. Showing the wrappers blowing around, the wind blowing, everything. It's like, wow, it can't be that bad. Well, when you go there and play, finally, <laughs> uh, when I was playing with the Braves before I was with the Giants, it was like, man, thank God we only got to be here three days. And then, you know, I got traded to the Giants and it was great because I was closer to home. Uh, my family could come up to the games all the time. Uh, and it was good. I got out of Atlanta and needed to make a move and I uh, was, well, I got to a good ball team. And the great thing was I was part of that Dodger Giant rivalry. So, uh, when you go to work every day and you don't like the way the, you know, wind's blowing, it's like, okay, what are we going to do? We're going to either go put it out of your mind or use it. I always try to talk myself in to and everybody else into going, you know, we got an advantage because we play every day. Well, that wasn't true because playing in a wind tunnel every day and freezing your butt off and not, you know, that was the first time I ever took batting practice or used batting gloves was taking batting packs in San Francisco at Candlestick because it was usually so cold and wet and damp. And if you didn't hit the ball perfect, uh, heck, it, by the time the, the game started, the hand still might be ringing. So that was the first time I started wearing batting gloves regularly and just trying to make it work. Uh, there was sometimes, unfortunately, the one thing is the weather did have some because of the wind. You know, wind, sometimes balls wouldn't get caught. They'd blow it down. You know, all kinds of stuff would happen. But so I, I would imagine the odds were against the people playing there every day as opposed to playing there, you know, four, whatever, played four times a year, whatever, 12 games there. 16 games. So, but you couldn't look at it that way. It was like, it was hard enough knowing that, uh, you know, we're facing Carlton tomorrow and, and, you know, I can't worry about whether it's cold or not. So, and heck, I played in great teams. I mean, I played with William McCoy. I mean, how, how many people got the third in front of Hank Aaron and then third in front of William McCoy? I mean, you know, Mac was, he was Mr. San Francisco Giants. Um, same status as, you know, he was the man up there. So, and great teams. We had Jack Clark and we had great pitching, you know, and Perry, Gaylor Perry and Marshall and all those guys were there before. And then we had great teams, but with staying division and they had to beat the Dodgers in the big red machine. And that was the, that was the hard part. 
Well, you know, I always respect those fans because watching them on TV with the Parkers, they'd still come out. They didn't draw real good if you didn't win, but man, when we were winning, we got Vita Blue and uh, go from the A's, and and we got crowd fifty, sixty thousand people at the Dodgers, and and became a pretty good team. Um, fans came out, and it was a sense of pride to play in a park where no matter what, the people come out to see and enjoy it. And and I always got to watch them throw stuff at the Dodgers, which I enjoyed too. So. That happened all the time. When you, <laughs> you know, people, I, I guess maybe unless you're part of that or you're part of the cities and stuff, that rivalry, you know, I mean, the Red Sox and the Yankees, everybody knows about that. And I'll say, but the Dodger Giant one was, to us, was just as big or bigger. So, I mean, you, um, you, you knew exactly when you were going to play the Dodgers. Oh, exactly. I mean, you had Frank Robinson as your manager towards the end there, and he right, would seem like a stoic right. guy, and you had Tommy Lasorda, who was kind of like a clown out there as manager. Oh, yeah. Well, that's what I'm saying. You know, it was, a, it was the the good guy Dodgers. You know, I hated the Dodgers growing up playing against the Meyer Meads because they had clean uniforms. They were an organization. They had nice uniforms. We got hand-me-downs. You know, the A's and the, and the Braves and everything else. So we kind of hated them then because they walked around like they were kind of cocky in the minor leagues because they had clean uniforms and they had to a little bit better. So that was a natural thing. And so they were the squeaky clean LA and San Francisco was the bad boys up there. And, and we were part of that whole thing with the, you know, the black and orange and, and, um, you know, we had some great series where we beat them at the end and knocked them out, and they knocked us out, and ah, it doesn't get any better now. Was Sparky Anderson your favorite manager to play for? Uh, well, I can't say he's more favorite than Eddie. Um, Sparky was a different time at a different place. I, I I respect him so much because of what he did for the Tigers. And when he went there, left the, the Reds, and he was very fortunate in a lot of ways. Uh, to come to the Tigers when I think people got to realize how great that organization was at the time. I mean, um, you know, we won in 84. We, you know, we went to play as 87, but we were in the best division in baseball then where six different teams won in six in seven different years in that division and had, you had to win 95 or more every year. So, but he came over there at the right time when um, Lance Parrish, you know, was, I mean, when I look at that lineup in, in Detroit. Lance Parrish at the time was maybe the best catcher in baseball, an organization guy. Howard Johnson was playing third. He'd come up with an organization before he got traded to the Mets. Uh, of course, we know Trammell and Whitaker um, should be an all fame, both of them. Um, and then Larry Hernan was in left. They did 30 home runs after getting traded from the Giants. Chet Lemon hit ninth a lot for us and hit 20 home runs every year. One, you know, to the center fielder at Earth. And then Kirk Gibson was a budding star. Um, and then Morrison Petrie had come from the organization as uh, number one and two starters and top 10 pitchers in baseball at the time. 
And that's Sparky came in there all at the same time when they were young, just coming up to major leagues. And um, they all loved him because he 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 was a positive guy, molded them, and and in a lot of ways, and let them play, and they became you know big stars. And and so it's a it's an art to do that. You know, you you went back before and said you know sometimes players good players aren't good coaches. Well, I think I don't. I don't look at it that way as a, I mean, I think everybody's an individual. Some people really want to coach. Some people know how to do it. Some people realize why they were doing it and how they, how it's a thirst to pass it on. And Sparky did that and had already had success with all those other guys that had come up with the Reds, you know, as we all know about them. So he kind of knew how things worked and, and, um, he was always tinkering, um, uh, you know, and so, it was, it was, he was a hands-on guy and he took the responsibility for work or not. And with the talent that we had, uh, it was, it was working most of the time. And it was just a, it was a great place to play because the fans had not won forever. And they're as good of sports fans as that's a greatest sports town as there is in the country. Uh, you know, when they average the Pistons, they average 32,000 people there. And you got Michigan, Michigan State played football during in the same day at the same time and draw two hundred thousand people. Um, these people are there are traditional, been there forever, uh, appreciated the kind of players that that we had and uh, um appreciated the the run that we were on. So um the, you know, all those things have to fall in place and Sparky was actually was obviously a big part of that. What's, what shocked me was being a Cubs fan. I thought it was be the Cubs and Tigers in the World Series, but again, the Padres broke our hearts. But. Yeah, yeah. See, not many people remember that. We did. Yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, that, 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 that would have that would have been a great World Series. I think the Cubs. Well, that was what everybody in the country wanted, except the Padres fans. Everybody in the world wanted that. It was it was the two original teams. The ones that haven't won for, of course, the Tigers have won 68, but that was a long time. And wow, this was supposed to be. We all thought that, man, this is, this is the way it's supposed to be. The Cubs finally, and after all that time, two, I mean, the two best, or two of the best sports towns and, and a fan base. And, but for me, I'm glad the Padres won because I got to get a bunch of tickets in San Diego and I wouldn't have got any tickets in Wrigley Field. So, and I had lots of people and I, I ended up with a 93 tickets in San Diego to have my family all get to watch me play in the World Series. But yeah, we all wanted the Cubs win and I think we look back, no, yeah, they probably, they were the best team. It was their time and my gosh, what a shame. Um, but the, the Padres fans, I mean, that was a good team, but the Padres fans were great. Um, but, man, it would have been nice, wouldn't it? Cubs oh. and Tigers World Series. What shocked me also about that Tiger team was your closer. You got him from the Cubs. He was just a middle reliever, William Hernandez. All of a sudden, he's the MVP and Cy Young winner the next year. Yeah, just uh, that was incredible. And I think what um, what re- what happened in a lot of ways was, is was Willie was – to come in to be the left-handed guy, I don't. I don't think anybody thought he was going to do what he did, because he had he had been a good pitcher in Pittsburgh. I mean, he'd been you know he he was good, 
Uh, that middle guy, like you said, he'd get lefties out, get righties out because he had the screwball and everything. And you put him in a new situation. But I think one of the things that we overlook, too, is another guy, Aurelio Rodriguez, or, I mean, uh, Aurelio Lopez, who was probably going to be the stopper. Um, and all of a sudden, we had a lefty-righty combination. And that's what Sparky kind of started at the start. And then um, Willie, well, neither one of them. Um, Aurelio Lopez... I think he won 10 games. He was like 10 and 1 out of bullpen with like 16 or 17 saves. So we had that two guys. So Willie, I think when we got him, he wasn't, and nobody went, okay, we got our stopper. It was just another guy that could help us. And as a, usually, that's the way it usually happens in a lot, I mean, a lot of ways is that you get, somebody gets a chance and everything worked out. Our team was so good, and our defense was so good. And, of course, he pit, I mean, they, the pitching, they pitched great. But we were underrated as defense, and we scored so much. You know, we scored runs. So there was a confidence right away for everybody to go out there. And, and the start that we had was, you know, magic. Nobody's ever had that start. So I don't know how that all fell into place. I'm sure glad I was part of it, though. It was, it was a magic thing that I don't think anybody's ever going to experience like that. Um, 35 and 5. I mean, that's even, you throw that number out and you just kind of go, there's no way. That's impossible. And no. uh, especially start the year having me as a free agent, almost winning the year before, expecting all these great things, you know, knowing that, okay, this team might be able to get, maybe able to win the pair this year. And then all of a sudden blowing everybody away. Um, although we didn't because Toronto, uh, we were 35 and 5, and I think Toronto was 29 and 11, something like that. So they weren't, they were very far out. Nobody was watching them. I mean, nobody, nobody said much about them. You know, all of a sudden we were the focal point. And we went up to Seattle, 35 and 5. We lost three games in a row to Seattle. And it was like the world was ended, and everybody realized, went, hey, the, and the Blue Jays are only like five games behind you guys. And they're like, oh my gosh. We still got six months to play here. So it wasn't as easy as it seemed, but it really was. But to, to just have, to go, be able to go through all that magic stuff, um, the, the great starts. Trammell, or Whitaker and Trammell, it seemed like every game the first thing we'd score a run because they'd both of them be on base or they'd drive each other in. And, you know, they both hit 20 home runs. So that was capable of the two. So you, that lineup was, was pretty nasty. And, and actually, we didn't even all have our best year or close to it. No, the next year. Yeah, your next sorry. year you had, did even better. You had over 40 home runs in 85. You know, it's funny because, um, you know, I went there in 84 and I had a three-year contract and I was 37. And the, I was, I disappointed the owner. Even though we won the World Series, I hit 16 home runs. And I guess that's all that really mattered because I disappointed the owner and they tried to trade me. And I was almost traded to the Yankees in 85. Uh, it didn't work out. Um, Jack Armstrong who was a up and coming pitcher. They were going to trade me. And, and I look back and go, yeah, if I got traded to the Yankees in 1985 and I would have hit 40 home runs for the Yankees and, 
led the American League in home runs. It have been the first time since Reggie Jackson did it way back in 71 or something. And I would have done it in New York as opposed to Detroit. What would my, what would have been different about my baseball career, my life and everything else? But you know what? I went, I, I picked the right spot. They didn't trade me. I did it in Detroit. I got to, you know, when I was in the pennant race every year in 87, we got to play. So I'm real happy about that. But it's kind of, um, I look back and go, you know, it wasn't a, um, I had hit 30 the year before, and then, you know, I got Sparky Petumi, or I didn't play as much, and I just wasn't, I didn't hit those two home runs a week. I hit one home run a week. And then the next year, I hit two a week. And it was like, like I said, that confidence thing, and I was being told I was old, you know. I mean, that in baseball, 30 years old, everybody's wondering when you're going to fall out, you know, you're going to not be able to play anymore. And so that was an incentive, and um, we had injuries and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, it was so fun winning and being at such a good ball club that uh, just go out there. And that's what I learned from everybody. You know, go out there every day. You're going to work. You're enjoying your work. You can do something better than you did the day before, and it doesn't matter what other people say. It doesn't matter whether they think you're in a slump. It doesn't matter whether they think you're old. It doesn't matter where. Because they feel like, well, at that age, I can't do it anymore. So he can't be able to do it. And you set your own standards, and um, it was a magical year for me. And what was great about that year, too, is that Carlton Fisk and I were doing it. And we were both old farts, you know? I was like, you could see in the eye of those young pitchers and going, I could throw up by this guy. He's old. And um, I learned from Hank Aaron. I didn't work all the time. So. So, you know, there's always something new in baseball. There's always something to look forward to. So um, I guess I was supposed to stay in Detroit and do that stuff in Detroit and finish my career. My last year was so great finishing, going back to Atlanta again. And with Dale Murphy in 89, that was that was a special time to start out there and finish up there, I guess. Um, but anyway, so 85, yeah, that was um, – that was like you get, you kind of feel like you get your credibility back, you know. You, you're you're the players give you respect, but the respect from other things, and so it makes it easier. So people aren't always asking you what's wrong, and you know we're gonna put somebody else in there and all that kind of stuff. So that's that's kind of uh, where I was at the time after '84. Although the best thing in the world happened, you win a World Series, and all of a sudden you're like, wait a minute, well, okay, well let's do it again. And yeah, that kind of that kind of wasn't uh, what everybody. I mean, it was you know the owner, Bob Monahan. You know, I I I you know he, he put in the article on the United magazine on the plane that uh, the only disappointment he had in '84 was that that he had signed me a three-year deal. I was like, wow, that was that didn't make sense. So, but. You don't have any control about other people think or say, and you don't have control what you do there and get all involved in your buddies and the, and the town. Man, there's nothing better. There's no way to describe being in a World Series parade and in Detroit. And it's, it's, you know, I think we could see now San Francisco and Detroit are the two, are two places that um, everybody wants to play now and everybody wants to be because the, the atmosphere, the fans, the 
you know, not just them, but those two plays now, and that looks because they've had success, obviously, but at the same time, it's like this, it's like giving back to those fans that have waited for so long. That's why the Cub fans, one of these days, they need to get that back. Did you have a favorite park to play in? I'm sorry? Did you have a favorite, did you have a favorite park to play in? Um, well, you know, some of them you loved, well, yeah, um, go on there and hit, you know, the, the cookie cutter ones, the 70s ones in Cincinnati and Philadelphia, Pittsburgh, something like too. When it got really hot, stuff, the ball just jumped in there. And everybody would say that about the Atlanta too, but you know, you played there your whole career or the whole time and it wasn't. I, I don't know, for such of the other teams, but yeah, those places. But, um, one of the best things that happened when I went, you know, playing 15 years in the National League and, and choosing to go to the American League, being in the tires and getting to play in all those, I mean, the, the classic stadiums. I mean, playing your, you know, 82 games in Tiger Stadium is just, um, it's just yeah, every day you go out there and, you know, the goats are around and this is where Ty Cobb and Lou Gehrig and Babe Ruth and all these guys played and stood here at home plate and all. And you realize that the plate in Tiger Stadium is a little bit crooked, which I guess probably most people don't know that. No, I never knew that. Tilted. It's kind of tilted towards right center. Uh, you know, it's been here 100, well, well, 150 years or whatever, and it was always crooked, which is kind of funny. But anyway, you go through there, and you, and you sometimes you just stand out there and go, wow, look, at the, this is the history of baseball. And so then going to uh, Yankee Stadium, and, man, just um, the history and the, and how, how, you know, you get to see the fan base in other places. Uh, Fenway, um, you know, old Memorial Stadium, and, and county in Baltimore, County State, Milwaukee. County State, Milwaukee. I used to go out there at noon on the road and have, um, cause they'd be outside, uh, tailgating already and go out there and eat with the people and have a couple of blocks and stuff like that before I go out to the park early. We used to do that. And, and back then you could do that because the fans were there and they, you know, they appreciate if you're a good ball player. They, they, you know, there's people that, you know, of course, we're going to root against you or whatever, but it was more of a hands-on thing back, back then. And so uh, I enjoyed every single moment of that. that. And that was passing along to, again, because my family is such a baseball oriented place, uh, you know, passing all those things along. And I, and my mom and dad would go to, um, I'd take them to a couple of, week road trip every year and see the different parts and and so they could get to see all that and enjoy that with me too uh you know along with my family but uh and aunts and uncles and all that kind of stuff so i get to share all that um and you know people people are so excited to go to a ball game they love it so much and so it's easy to kind of go okay we're gonna give you a good show here today so you keep coming out and i still you know, I still appreciate. I get I get mail from people and and so many great stories. And when they went to the games back then, and I got a couple of buddies here now. I live in Fort Worth, and one of my best buddies here. You know, he goes, "Heck, I hated you." <laughs> I go, "Really?" He goes, "I really hated you." <laughs> he grew up in Cincinnati, and then now he's in Texas. So, he goes, yeah, because you had all months, and you know, you play against, but but so you you get a little piece of that, and that's. That's probably what, you know, 
the enjoyment of going back and and, re, and remembering all. That's why I love doing these kind of things. They're remembering all those memories. It's, anything takes you back to that's a great thing. No, you mentioned history. I mean, you were part of history in '83 All Star Game. I remember watching. I was a 12 year old, and, and they had the 50th anniversary of the All Star Game, and all oh those great God, players that, were there. That was the best one. I'm glad you brought that up. Okay, so Eddie. Matt, we'll go back to Matthews. Okay, my dad played, uh, my dad's brother, my one brother, uncle played in the minor leagues. Uh, my mom and two of my aunts played professional softball for 10 years. I mean, back when, you know, they do it now in the colleges there. This is professional. And um, her dad, my grandfather, played, pitched about 25 years in the minor leagues. Now, my... Mom's side of the family, Salazar, it's, um, Mexican Americans, but generations back. But anyway, so back at that time, he couldn't play. My grandfather, who I guess was one of the, Fred Haney said he had the best curveball he'd ever seen, and he played against the exhibition. But back then, the color line was still going on. So anyway, I grew up with all those things. Two of my mom's brothers played professional soft baseball. Um, and anyway, so, Grandparents, everybody, we play baseball. That was what we all grew up on. And to have their son, nephew, grandson play major league baseball was the best thing could ever happen. So I got to enjoy all that kind of stuff with him and share all those kind of things. So those, that 83 All-Star game. So when I went to Atlanta and my parents are going on road trips and all that kind of stuff, whatever, and my dad and Eddie Matthews hit it off like buddies. And they became really good friends. And um, so the 83 All-Star game, we finished in San Diego. And when you're not a starter, you don't hear about it until, you know, Friday or Saturday, I guess, that you made it. So we're all going to go. My parents, my, my brother and a couple of people, my wife, all that were going to the All-Star game. And, of course, the 50th All-Star game. Oh, my gosh. And I don't know if you remember, of course, they had all, well, you just talked about, they had all the guys that have made an All-Star game for all those years. I think there was almost 100 of them. I have a picture somewhere of, they took a picture of all these guys. And there was, so what a thrill to just meet these guys. And, of course, I know some of them. But anyway, my dad and, and Eddie were good buddies. Well, they brought back all those guys, and, of course, Eddie was going to be there. So my dad was looking forward to that, and I was looking forward to it, to see him. And I know all the other guys that were going to be there. So we walked. So we get back there on Monday. We got batting practice and stuff. So I went in there early and took my dad and my mom. My mom couldn't go in the locker room. Of course, she wanted to, but she knew all these, a lot of these guys. Anyway, she's sitting in the stands. I take my dad in the locker room. Eddie Matthews, as I walk in, it's about noon. Eddie has got about 10 guys sitting over in the corner. They're all having beer, having playing cards, yelling, screaming, telling stories as baseball players do. And he looks up and he goes, hey, Dick, come on over. My dad's name, Dick. Hey, Dick, come on over here. I want you to meet these guys. And I go, what about me? He goes, ah, I'll, see I'll see you later. <laughs> and took my dad, who, and back then, everybody had crew cuts. You know, nobody had long hair. Everybody had the same kind of hair. Took my dad over there with, you know, Luber Dett and Johnny Logan I were there, and then a bunch of the Braves, obviously. But also, so I go get dressed. 
So I don't even go over there because I'm going to go get dressed and then I can go out and enjoy. When I come back out, they're all outside. So they're out in the dugout. As I walk back out in the dugout and we're getting ready for batting practice and stuff, here's lined up Moose Gowan, Yogi Berra, Roger Maris, Mickey Mail, um, um, Bob Sir, uh, let's see, Johnny Logan, Lou Burdett, all these guys sitting in the, and my dad's right in the middle of them. In the dugout. The biggest, I mean, the greatest thrill I've ever had in baseball, I think. And um, it was such a wonderful thing because he was such a big baseball nut and everything, and Eddie took him by his hand and really got to let him enjoy that. Your dad probably never forgot that. Oh, of course. And, but here's the kicker. So, I was still National League, and then the next year, 84, went to, to, to the Tigers. They were all looking forward to it. In fact, they used to go on, uh, like I said, two weeks into and see like four cities, you know, different towns and go to the ballparks during the summer. Well, I'm all excited to go to the Tiger, <clears throat> Lakeland. Mom and dad, come on. They used to come down for spring training usually for a week or so. Okay, when you come down, when my dad had gotten sick and died back in 84 from colon cancer and went. Just like that. Never got to go to spring training. Never really got to see him with the Tigers. But his last thing about baseball was, and one of the last things was that I had a good year in 83 with the Giants, obviously. And then, but the All-Star game. And um, so, you you know, that was, uh, obviously that game was something more than special for me. And, um, you know, that, that's why you look back and go, you know, those people wanted those players before man are just like everybody else. They're, they got families there and they love having the other people's families around. And, um, that's, you know, that's why, like I said, that's probably the biggest throw I've ever had in baseball. Um, oh, one of the guys that had a lot to do with my life too was Jerry Tarkanian, the UNLV coach. Yes. Um, I played for him in junior college on state champion basketball team as a point guard. When he was, before he went to Long Beach State, and he won like four state titles in California, and I just happened to be on his team that, well, anyway, he took over the second year I was in there in junior college, and we won the state, and I got to run the team, and um, has always been that coach that everybody looks back and goes, now, this is the guy, and he was the same way. Push, push, push. You can do better. It's the way you have to do it. It's all mental. You'd be better mentally than anybody else. I just want to mention one thing I yes. am doing right now is um, I've been blessed to have all this stuff happen to me before so that I have Daryl uh, Evans Foundation, and it's senior. It's Daryl Evans Senior Senior League Wish Foundation. So we do kind of wishes for the older general. We take care of them in the, the nursing homes. Um, we do a lot of stuff that is just so rewarding and everything. And we have had such a great time because we interview the people too. We learn so much from the older people that nobody thinks about. And um, we just had a big deal with the, the guy that was in the Olympics diving. Uh, and, you know, you hear all these stories of all these people and, you know, and the wars and all that kind of stuff. So I, I we kind of do that on our, on our website 
and so that people know about these people too. So I'm blessed being able to do that. So that's what I'm I'm into right now. So I'm enjoying myself. I love doing shows like this when you get one guy talking for an hour. I learned more from him about baseball than I did from probably 95% of the people I've interviewed. To think what he's been a part of. I mean, he had was on base when Hake Aaron hit that legendary home run. He had Frank Robinson as a manager. He had one of the greatest third basemen of all time, Eddie Matthews, teach him how to play third base and also hit, who was his idol growing up. It doesn't get any better than that. I want to thank Dave Olson for another fine show today. Running the boards, I'm David Spada. Thanks for listening to Sports and Torts here on TalkZone.com.